Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1, and we'll read these four verses together and jump into God's word together. Here's what Jesus says. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we come to you and we desire that you would work in our hearts through your word. Lord, we know that we are dependent on you to take uh, your word and by your spirit apply it to our hearts and lives. Um, We need you to open our ears, to soften our hearts, to convict, to instruct, to encourage, and all of this will only come about by your power, and so we ask for your spirit to do your work among us this morning, to change us and mold us and shape us into the people that you would have us to be. Encourage us with your gospel, remind us of who you are this morning, remind us how we're supposed to live because of who you are. We ask and pray in Christ's name, amen. You and I were created by God with an innate desire to be noticed with an innate desire to, to be recognized. To, uh, th- there's something neat and encouraging when we receive recognition. Now, some of us enjoy it more than others, but innately built within all of us is a need to be, a desire to be recognized. That's part of what it means to be created in God's image. So with that in mind, we're going to ask the question, why do you do the good that you do? When you do good deeds, and specifically when you give to the needy is the illustration that Jesus gives to make the point he's making, why do you do that? What is the motivation behind it? This desire to be noticed, this desire to be recognized starts very young. You've seen it if you spent any time around an infant. If you've spent any time, especially if you are the parent, of course, you, you are drawn to that child. You can stare into their eyes for hours and make googly faces and watch them make gurgling noises back. And you, you, you watch this, you recognize them, you notice them, and something changes a few months into that infant's life. Some, before you sit there making a fool of yourself, staring into the child of the face of your child, and there's no recognition, no acknowledgement, right? But something happens a few months into their life where you walk into the room or you call out their name or you show them attention and they turn and their eyes get wide and they smile. They've recognized you. And there's something about that recognition that, that, that is at the deepest levels of relationship that helps bind us to one another, and God's designed it that way. And yet, something that God has made good can become corrupted or twisted when that recognition that we crave, 
that, that approval that we desire when we begin to look for it in the wrong places. You see, ultimately, God has designed us for relationship with him. God has created human beings with this capacity and desire and need to have a relationship with their father. And he's the one for whom his created beings are to crave that relationship and that desire, that acknowledgement, that recognition. And yet something begins to become twisted and corrupted when created beings begin to seek that recognition among other created beings rather than with the creator. And so what can begin to happen is, is now I'm beginning to look horizontally for what I should only get vertically and now I'm beginning to look for others to see, do you, do you approve of me? Do you, does, do, you, do you recognize me? Do you think that I'm good and do you approve of me? And rather than looking for that approval, from God, then we begin to look for that in others. And that's, that at its heart and at the root is underneath some of what Jesus is now going to try to teach on as he wants his followers to understand, look, when you do good things, when you practice your acts of righteousness, beware of doing them in order that you may be seen by other men. And here's how Jesus is going to explain this as we begin to walk through this passage together. I want us to understand what's, at, what's behind what Jesus is doing why do you do the good that you do we know that Christians are supposed to act and behave in a certain way and so if you're striving to live that why that way why what's your motivation and who are you desiring recognition from let's look together at Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 and here's here's how we're going to walk through and explain the passage let's seek to understand what Jesus was saying and what some of the application is for us. In verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now it's helpful for us to remember, even though this begins a new chapter, Jesus has, he, he's in the middle of his sermon, he's, he is shifting a bit of an emphasis, but this follows right on the heels of everything that he has just covered in verses 17 through 48 of chapter 5. If you look back at verse 20 of chapter 5, look back at verse 20 of chapter 5, Jesus says, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is wanting people to understand, look, if you're one of my children, people who really understand what salvation and a relationship with God and the kingdom of heaven is all about will live in such a way that their righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, had you been living in that day, you, you could not have thought of anyone that was more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. It would have been impossible to exceed their level of righteousness. When you think of that righteousness, you think, think almost of goodness, that, that the way that they acted and behaved was impeccable. It was, it was of the utmost highest quality and character and integrity. These were the people who surely had the best relationship with God. Surely their righteousness, surely there was nobody who followed the law better than them. But Jesus says you actually have to have a better kind of of righteousness and he illustrates it with six different points going through the law he says look it's not just that you can't murder even the angry intentions of the heart show that you have violated that command and therefore your righteousness isn't good enough it's not just that you can't 
commit adultery, even the lustful looks and desires, the lustful looks of the eyes reveal the lustful desires of the heart, and therefore you've committed adultery in your heart. And Jesus is saying you have to have a different kind of righteousness. Now, he's not saying, Jesus is not saying that you have to have more quantity of righteousness. Jesus is not saying you have to work even harder than the Pharisees do. He's saying you have to have a different quality, a completely different kind altogether. Because if the people were not careful, what they would have done is said, wow, okay, apparently the Pharisees have missed the mark on this, so now we just need to do even better. And Jesus is now going to subtly shift gears, and he's been telling them, look, the way you live, the way you think the way you act is important. The, the, the way that words come out of your mouth, the desires that you have to go and reconcile, your behavior is important, but also now he's going to say not just the way you behave, but why you behave the way you behave. The, the motivation behind why you act the way you act. Jesus was pointing out for all of chapter 5, look, you've gotten some of things wrong. You're behaving in ways that you ought not to behave. And then he's going to shift and say, look, I don't just want you to behave the right way. I want you to behave the right way for the right reason. Because even if you do the right thing with the wrong motive, it's going to show that, that your heart is not truly where it needs to be in relation to the Father. And so Jesus is going to help them understand. He wants them to realize that, that now if they're going to do their acts of righteousness, beware of practicing your righteousness. So doing acts of righteousness, doing your good deeds before other people in order to be seen by them. He's saying, look, if you desire, if the reason you're living the way you are if the reason you are doing the right things is so that other people look at you and notice and approve of you and recognize you and give you that recognition, if that was your motivation for doing the right thing, then when it comes time for a heavenly reward from the Father, it will not exist. Jesus does not say your heavenly reward is diminished. Jesus does not say you're taking away from heavenly reward. He's saying when you do your righteousness in front of others so that they then look at you and approve, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this now is a very important point that we need to tune into. That that I just covered in verse 1 is really where the next few weeks are going. He's going to go all the way through at least verse 18 of chapter 6 and potentially even uh, all the way through verse 24, trying to help them understand that verse 1 that he just made. Now, in order to illustrate it, the, the, the point is, don't do your acts of righteousness publicly in order that other people may they see them. He's going to illustrate it with giving to the needy, with prayer, and with fasting. And you can see if your Bible has headings, giving to the needy is verses 2 through 4 that I read. Prayer is verses 5 through 15. And then fasting is verses 16 to 18. And each one of those, he's using the same formula. If you look at verse 5, and when you pray, you must not 
Look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not. Look at verse two. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet. In each one, he's, he's taking these three practices of the day and he's illustrating them. His purpose and intention was not to teach us everything we needed to know about giving to the needy or, or prayer or fasting. He was using these three things that would have been very common in their day. The, the scribes and the Pharisees would have taught people, the Jewish religious leaders would have taught people if you want to be close to God, if you want to have a relationship with him, you need to give to the needy, you need to pray, you need to fast, and in fact, Jesus assumes that all of those are very good things and expected in the life of the believer. So Jesus' point is to help them understand why are they doing it? What's their motivation underneath it? And if they're only doing it for the public approval and recognition of others, then they've gotten something wrong. And so he illustrates that point by giving to the needy. In verse 2, thus, when you give to the needy, uh, the idea here is almsgiving. Some of the older translations translate it that way, when you give your alms. So we think especially of a financial component, but it could also be broader than that of any act of service to the needy. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So apparently there were practices going on in the day where it was important for them to give to the needy. And that, and that largely fell to some of the religious groups. There were not social structures in place to care for the needy. But the, the, the people knew and understood that those who had a relationship with God needed to give generously to care for those who had less. And so commentators have all different ideas of what does this mean to sound trumpets, right? Was this actually happening? Were there scribes and Pharisees, some of the religious elites, who before they did some good act of service, they would actually blow a trumpet or someone else would and people would notice and they would perhaps stand on the street corners. Others said that there were these trumpet-shaped boxes that people stood on before they did their good act and then other people could see them easily. We don't have all the evidence of what was behind every single thing practice here of why was Jesus giving this illustration of sounding a trumpet, but certainly there were practices taking place where recognition was drawn and noticed and there was great, there was a, a trade-off factor. There was great merit to be gained. There was honor to be gained for those who did their good deeds and who gave financially and sacrificed in a public way in order that others would see them. And the scribes and the Pharisees especially tuned into this practice. They knew that others would think well of them when they gave in such a way that others noticed. One of the things that I read in studying this was that in, in Jesus' day, in the way that society worked, the, the idea of a, a society that had benefactors and those who gave good gifts but they themselves benefited from the gifts that they gave, this was prominent in Jesus' day. And it was, some, it was a voluntary thing, but that's how some of the roads and marketplaces and large buildings were uh, implemented because there would be very wealthy individuals, benefactors, who would 
donate the goods and then they themselves would receive large public honor. They, they would be built up and esteemed in the eyes of all because they had contributed in such a good way. And so yes, they were generous, but there was a huge payback for them and they knew it, and they were elevated in society's eyes. There is some evidence that, that, that uh, sometimes when something like that would happen, the religious leaders were brought into the synagogue, and, and, and the individual who was the benefactor would be called up front, and they would be publicly honored and thanked and praised that, that society now benefited from their generosity. And so uh, in, it could be that this is precisely what Jesus has in mind, that he's saying, look, when you give, when you are generous, you do not need to call attention to it. If you are doing it because you are receiving attention, then I tell you truly you have received your reward. What is Jesus saying? He's helping people understand. Jesus is not saying that if you give so that other people praise you, you don't receive a reward. You do receive a reward. You receive the admiration and the respect of fellow created human beings. And Jesus recognizes that. Sometimes when we give generously to others and when others see our good deeds, they praise us. And we can, in a sense, can say, here on this horizontal, human surface level, that's the reward we receive for doing that good act. And if that's what we craved, was other people to look at us and say, and to think well of us, then we got it. We received it. And Jesus wants them to understand it. And he says, they... They do their, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. That's it. That's all they're going to get. If the, if the human approval was what you craved and that's what you sought, that's what you got. And that's something that the scribes and the Pharisees struggled with. And Jesus wanted his followers to see, no, it needs to be different. In fact, he calls them hypocrites. This word is frequently used throughout the New Testament, but only on the lips of Jesus. Originally, the word hypocrite was used, it was the Greek word that was used for an actor in a play, someone who would be on stage and who would act out a character that was different than what they were in real life. And especially in some of the, the plays that were acted out, they might use masks and act out more than one part in the play. Have you ever seen a, a, a drama that's acted out that way where one person is, is acting out several characters? This is the word that Jesus used. You're an actor. You are a play actor. You are acting different than who you really are. And Jesus is saying, look, this is what's taking place when the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the actors, if they are seeking the attention of human beings, they're going to get it, but that's all they're going to get. If you're acting this way, in order to be seen, that word in order to be seen is the same word that in other places is trans, is, is the, carries the idea of being involved in a theater, uh, being involved in a theater production. So in a, in a sense, that word, this is not an accurate translation, but the root word is the same way. If you're acting that way in order to be a theater, if you're putting on a show, Jesus says that then, then you're a hypocrite. You're an actor. You do not get a reward from the Father for that. You only get the earthly reward that you craved, and that's all that you're going to receive. So Jesus then has a different solution. He says this in verse three, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing 
so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus says this, look, when you give to the needy, you need to do it in such a way that your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. Now think about that for a moment. It's impossible to do that, right? There's no way that I could do some good deed or some act or give money with my right hand and my left hand wouldn't even be a part of this. If someone understands the human mind well enough to know how that could be accomplished, speak to me after the service, but that's not Jesus' point to give them a literal example of how they could solve this problem. He, he's, he's using dramatic hyperbole and he's exaggerating to help them understand, look, look, this is the way it needs to work. When you do your good deeds, when you give your generous financial contributions to the needy, you need to do it in some such a way that, that you, if it were possible, you could even hide it from yourself, that you're not even thinking too much yourself about the good deeds that you're doing. And, and by doing this, Jesus now subtly pulls in another area of temptation. For some, the, 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 that desire for the public approval, for the, for the approval of others, is stronger pull than for others. But there's another category of people or at different times in our lives, we notice that, look, I don't care if anyone else of you notices that I did a good thing, but I, I myself sure do feel better that I have done this good thing, right? It's a way I talk to myself and convince myself, I really... I really am a good person, right? God must, surely God loves me and approves of me, though none of you know what I did. I know what I did, right? And here Jesus begins to move the bullseye even, okay, so maybe your problem isn't public approval, but, but are you even convincing yourself that your righteousness is your own good deeds and your own human effort? And Jesus is saying, don't even let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Why do we do the things that we do? It's not because we're trying to impress God or others with our righteousness. No, if God himself is righteous, if God himself is a generous God, if God himself has given to you and I who are needy, then, then these generous acts of giving ought to just flow out of our character such that we don't have to think twice about it. I don't care if you notice or not. I hope that I forget about this nice thing that I did tomorrow and I don't keep coming back to it years from now, soothing my conscience and reminding myself that I really am a good person. No, hopefully these good acts and good deeds and generous contributions flow out of the very character of who God is and who he has made us to be. And here's the way it works. Our Father keeps track. He sees, He knows, and someday there will be a heavenly reward. He sees in secret and He rewards in secret. And He wants His followers to live accordingly. And He's trying to help us understand that, that why we do what we do is very, very important. You have a quote in your bulletin from a man named Jonathan Pennington, and here's, here's what he says. In trying to help this shift, help us understand this shift that Jesus is making, he says Jesus warns his would-be disciples that there is a heart issue at stake, not only in what righteousness is, it's anger, not just murder, it's lust, not just adultery, but also in how one lives this out in daily life. Specifically, there is the ever-present temptation to be righteous so that others will see it and think well of the doer. Does that speak to your heart in, in terms of your motivations of why you do the things that you do? 
Why do you do the good deeds and the acts of righteousness? If you're a Christian and you know that God has called you to live differently, then, then why do you do that? And why do you get involved in this way? Notice one of the things that Jesus says, he does not say if you give to the needy. He says when you give to the needy. The problem is not that the people were involved in acts of righteousness. It was assumed that they should be. Jesus expects his followers, you and I, to be generous, to be financially generous to those who have less than we do, to, to contribute to God's work and God's causes in ways that, that speak of the ways that we have been blessed, that speak uh, uh, and overflow out of the generosity of what God has done for us. So the problem is not that we do these things, but with the motivation of why. Do we do it so that others might notice? Do we do it so that we convince ourselves that we are a good person? As we try to think about this, why do you give the money that you give? Whether it's to this church, whether it's to other organizations, whether it's to individuals in need, is there any part of you that's doing that to convince yourself that you're a good person? To, to try to earn or buy God's love? To try to earn or the, the approval or respect of others? Because if so, if that's our motivation, then Jesus says there is no heavenly reward from the Father. That, that respect and admiration that we get from others is the only reward that we give. As you think about this, this is one of the things that, uh, this is one of the illustrations Jesus used as it was very popular in his day. For us in our day, especially in the context of the New Testament church or the way we do giving here at Shawnee, we try to work very hard that very, very few, there's only one individual, the financial secretary in the church that knows uh, fully who gives what. We try not to make that public and noticed and I think there's some wisdom behind that. And, and, and for the most part, in, in our context, we, we don't want other people to know what we give financially, right? And, and, and so... Yet, there still might be that subtle temptation to, to well, maybe, maybe, I wonder how much people assume I'm giving. I, maybe I want people to know that I pull my weight around here, you know. You, don't, don't offend me. Do you know how much I give and what will go with that? That's, that's a way of giving for the praise of men, and we certainly don't want to see that creep in. What other illustrations come into play in the context that we live in today? Are there other ways that we do acts of righteousness in front of others, right? And you even think about it in a world of social media where we're able to portray what it is that we do and the good things that we accomplish. And if we want to, we can put it out there for the world to see, right? If that's your motivation and desire for posting on social media the good things that you have accomplished that other people will look and give you praise, well then that's all the praise you're going to get. That's the reward you sought and that's the reward you will get but your father who sees in secret does not have the heavenly reward waiting for you even as his followers. So let's think through these things and we'll get a little bit more specific even as we think about prayer, as we think about fasting, as we think about reward a couple of weeks ahead. But I want to think for just a moment. Let me step back because there's another tension that's been raised here in the passage if we think through this. 
What I don't want you to do over the next three weeks or four weeks, however long we're in this section, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking that Jesus' instruction is, is that we are never supposed to do anything public and we're never supposed to let anyone see any good thing we do. That can't be Jesus' intention in saying this. In fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, so just look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus was finishing up the Beatitudes, as he walked through the salt and light and saying, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, he closes that section in verse 16 and he says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, because of that, You cannot look at this section on giving to the needy and say that Jesus is saying, if anyone ever knows that you were generous with your money, you're wrong. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, he is not, when we get to prayer, he's gonna tell us to go into our closets and pray. And yet, Pastor Kevin just announced that on April 5th, we're gonna gather in here and pray. And there's gonna be other people that hear us pray, right? Occasionally, I'll hear people reference this passage when they feel like someone is pressuring them to do something good that they don't wanna have to do, and and they'll come to this passage and say, Jesus said we were never supposed to do that. We were only supposed to be secret about those things, right? Well, that can't be Jesus' point because in verse 16 of chapter five, he says, let your light so shine before others that they see your good works and give glory to your father is in who is in heaven so apparently God's children are supposed to live in such a way publicly before others that the world looks at our lives and says wait a minute there's something different there's something attractive there's something worth emulating there there's something that I want to investigate there's there's something publicly that's been lived out in front of me that now causes others to notice. So Jesus is not saying that when you give, not a single soul can ever know. What is he referencing? He's referencing motivation, right? In chapter five, he says, let people see your good works, why? So that they see your father and give glory to him. What's happening in chapter six? People are seeing their good works and they're getting the glory. They're taking it for themselves. They're they're taking all that recognition and approval and they're making it their own. And that's the real problem. We have to live in public ways. If your heart is susceptible to desiring the approval for yourself, then you may need to do some of this secretly. Jesus is not instructing that every single time you give, it has to be secret. He's giving you an illustration. He's saying, if not a single soul knew that you were about to write that check you were going to write, would you still do it? You catch the difference? Because if the, if the recognition and approval and reward of the Father is what we desire, then that's what we're after. And we live in a world where other people may find out, and that's not wrong, but it can't be the motivation that we desire. As a father, I I love watching my children give me gifts. It's it's one of the really neat joys. Uh, And for those of you that are parents, you've perhaps lived through something like that as well. And it's really neat when one of the kids, you know, 
especially when they're young, before they develop an awareness of their siblings and the world around them. But have you seen a child give a gift in innocence out of total love for the recipient? This is one of the coolest things, right? You can be spending the afternoon with your kids out in the yard and they're playing and one of the children decides that they want to tell you how much they love you and they will come running up with a dandelion that they picked four hours ago and had in their pocket and a broken um, acorn shell, right? And they'll hand you those two things as if they're giving you a million dollars, their eyes wide, right? And they want to see, do you realize how much I love you? I gave you my wilted dandelion, right? And in that moment, when you as a parent can genuinely tell they love me. That's why they did this. They crave my approval. They crave my recognition. They want me to throw my arms around them and, and love them and recognize them and reward them. And I will, right? But then I just wish you could keep them innocent like that forever, right? But then they get a little bit older and they begin, to, they begin to realize that. Wait a minute, dad does really neat things when we give gifts. I wonder if I can outgive the other gift that my sibling just gave, right? And so they're giving you this gift and, and out of the corner of the eye, they're watching the other siblings and they're trying to gauge mom and dad's response. Do you love my gift more than this other gift, right? Have you seen that as a parent, right? And when that happens, you realize, oh, you know, I, I, it really could be a million bucks at that point, but it's like, I don't want that. I'd rather have the wilted dandelion, right? Because the child wanted my praise, my affection, my relationship, not, the child did not want others to tell them how great they were, right? And this is part of what's at work, this concept that, that God wants us to have a relationship with him because he's great, because he's awesome, because he's righteous, because of his character that he, is, he has created us to image him and part of that will being generous in our financial gifts to those who are needy. But we're doing that because he's great, not because we want others to hope that we're great. And in just a moment, we'll gather around this table, right? And we will together profess these truths that, that we come to the table and have access to the table if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? It's not because you're great. It's not because you have done some act of righteousness that earns you a seat at the table. It's not because you're here this morning. It's not because you've come to church. It's not because someone else has told you you're great. Why do we have access to the table? You have access to the table if and only if Jesus' blood and broken body via his sacrifice on the cross of his substitutionary death where he died in our place taking a punishment that we deserve, you have access to the table if and only if by faith you have accepted his sacrifice on your behalf and you have had your sins forgiven trust that because you have come to the point and place where you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have a personal saving relationship with him. He's the one whose desire, whose affection, whose approval, whose recognition we as his children are supposed to desire. We're supposed to crave that, that craving that's built within all of us. He's the only one that can satisfy that. And we remind ourselves regularly, we come to this table and we say, you know what? Here's how I have a relationship with God. It's not because of my acts of righteousness. It's because of him. It's because of his broken body. It's because of his shed blood. And, and so we partake together to remind ourselves 
of those truths. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, well, that's, that's what we would invite you to. It would be better for you to, to not partake of this table and to let these elements pass and to, to turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that where you are, even now, to turn from your sin and recognize, I'm a sinner, I'm separated from God. I have nothing on my own that can give me a right relationship with God except what Jesus did for me on the cross, his death his burial, his resurrection, by believing in that is how you and I find life. And that's what we invite you to this morning. And then this is an ongoing way where we celebrate that, where we remember that, those of us who are Christians. I want you to think about why you do the good that you do as we go through this in the weeks ahead. We will be thinking about why, why do we give to the needy? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? God has called his people to be righteous, but it's not something we our own can produce. It's only something he can provide for us through the gospel, through his son, Jesus Christ.